Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. God's script for you, and we have been spending quite a bit of time uh, out of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, uh, the the thoughts that God has for us. And this morning, uh, I was awakened to a text uh, that my wife had sent out either late last night or early this morning with a scripture on it. And uh, at first, I couldn't get the thing to open. You know how you do your finger on your little screen. You're trying to get that thing every time it disappears. But eventually, I just said, forget it. And I got it enough that I could find out what scripture it was. So I went to the scripture. So I don't know what she said to the family or what she wrote. But uh, when I read the scripture, I was like, wow, this is like the missing scripture I've been looking for right here. So thank you, honey, uh, for giving us that. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, If you want to turn there in your Bible, mark it in your iPhone, smartphone, your dumb phone, whatever you have. Ephesians chapter 1, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word today. We declare it blessed in life to those that have an ear to hear. And we come choosing to hear today by your spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says this, beginning in verse 3. All... Praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I can't stop there. There's so much powerful stuff in that right there. In Well, maybe I will for just a second. Say every. See, God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing. Not every other one, not him because he's more spiritual than I am, or not her because she's uh, way much deeper in the faith than I am. No, no, no. Every spiritual blessing belongs to you and I as believers. Every spiritual blessing. So he goes ahead in verse 4 and says, even Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault, come on, in his eyes. All of us have had to deal with sin since salvation. Amen? I said amen. Everybody has sinned since salvation. You don't want to live a lifestyle of sinning, but as long as you have flesh and blood, sometime, somewhere, something's going to happen and you're going to mess up. But Paul said that we're without fault in the eyes of Christ. Why? Because the price that he paid going to the cross was for how many of your sins? All your sins. So if you've been forgiven of all your sins, then you stand before the Father without fault. Man, I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. Because this week, I thought something. (laughs) Yep, me. 
And I didn't even smash my toe. But something happened and, and a thought went there, right, right there, just bam. And man, oh man, oh man, the spirit of conviction is that quick because he loves it. He doesn't wait till Sunday, four stands up just as I am to start convicting you. I mean, right then, right there, you go, Lord, I don't know where that came from. And then you have to start thinking, where did it come from? I've listened to something, heard something, watched something, something that caused that word to be there. Y'all should see your faces. <laughs> Some of y'all got so much judgment, it's unbelievable. I'm going to get me a big mirror and stand up here like this and preach. Because ain't none of y'all. You might be without fault, but you're not without guilt. Everybody's messed up. But when we do, because he loved us so much, he dealt with those things in our lives while he was on the cross. And he set us free. Say, I'm free. You're not just free when you sing that song. You're free when you get up in the morning, when you wake up, when you put your head on the pillow at night. We have the right to walk in freedom. Just like we have the, walk, the right to walk in salvation, just like we have the right to walk in healing, deliverance, being set free. We have a right, a privilege. The Lord has given it to us by his word, by the Holy Spirit of God, through the works of Jesus Christ. Because before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, he was already thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He was dreaming dreams for you. You know, I've been meditating on this over these last few weeks since Jamie and I have been preaching this word. And I realize that most of us don't really deeply believe that God really knew who we were before we were formed. We don't really believe that he was thinking about what we were going to do with our lives. And he's the one who put those things inside of us. Everybody in this room has a different gift, different ability. God created you wonderfully. And he put things within us that they're gifts. Like, when I need a medical procedure, I don't go to my best friend who's a great mechanic. <laughs> Not if you're smart. Amen. Neither do I go to my surgeon friend when I need my car to run right. Because neither one of them are God. But we've been gifted with certain giftings. Do you know that even hospitality is a gift? When you have the ability to make people feel good. Don't, don't you like those kind of people at the front door of church? 
And if somebody invites you over to their house for dinner, don't, don't you enjoy it when they have that gift of hospitality? I mean, they just, the minute you see them, they just, they just light you up. The other night we had dinner with one of the families in our church that we have been in relationship with for a long time, 30 plus years. But it had been, uh, it had, I'd been dealing with some stuff. So by the time we got to their house for dinner the other night, after we hugged and chatted and talked about how beautiful their yard looked, I said, can we just make it light tonight? Can we just have fun? Can we just talk and enjoy each other? And man, this fish, whoo, sweet Jesus. Sea bass right out of the sea. That's fresh. Vegetables right out of the garden. Her garden. Come on, somebody. You come to my house and eat veggies, they're coming straight out of the garden of Publix. Because <laughs> we don't have that gift. But we've all been given different gifts and abilities. And when we can begin to accept those things and walk in them, knowing that even in my mother's womb, the Lord was already thinking about me and what he wanted me to do and accomplish. Verse 5, listen to this. God decided <laughs> in advance. Say advance. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through the only way you can get to Father, through Jesus Christ. I'm reading a story of, um, of a Voice of the Martyr um, a staff member. His name was Peter, can't pronounce his last name, he's from, uh, he's from uh, Prague in, um, what country is that? Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia, wow. Czech Republic or something like that. Anyhow, I'm reading his story, and he goes to the nation of Sudan for four days for a quick trip to minister to pastors, and he's excited about going home. He tells the story of how he travels and how he communicates with his wife, and, and uh, he gets to the airport, and the plane's there, and they're beginning to load the plane when all of a sudden... Um, some Sudanese officers come and require him to grab his stuff and follow him. And uh, the long and short of the story, he goes to prison. Nasty, nasty, nasty prison. And as I'm reading his story over these last couple of nights, and I am stirred as I'm reading this scripture that God decided in advance because Peter came to a place in prison where he realized he had to stop complaining. As Holy Spirit began to bring to his remembrance all of these different men that he had 
uh, prayed with and prayed for and prayed over and helped and served over the years in many different countries that, that some that were in prison and had been in prison for 10 plus years and how he had prayed for them, his family had prayed for them, his church uh, had prayed for them, but, but how he was going through uh, now all of a sudden the same things and he found himself in this place. And, and honestly, as I'm reading his story, I'm thinking, wow, it would be hard pressed not to complain. Because none of us in here have ever, ever imagined or been in a place where we had to deal with what he dealt with. But what changed him was when he realized, and some of this might unnerve your theology, but when he realized that everything he was going through was in God's plan for his life. Wow. He had, to, he had to confront, Lord, why am I here and what is your plan? And he gets put in a cell with six ISIS members. And in the story, they're about to, in their cell, a cell that was made for one person, he's in a cell, there's seven of them, and they are about to waterboard him. When supernaturally, the door of the prison cell opens and a guard that they called the mean guard came in, rescued him out of there and took him and put him in solitary confinement. The word solitary confinement does not bring joy to most of our thought process. But all of a sudden, over the next days and then weeks, he began to realize that solitary confinement was his personal place with God Almighty. And he began to, through several events that happened, one of the guards literally smuggled him in a Bible out of his suitcase. And he found himself, from the minute of daylight till the minute of darkness every day, a hunger for the word of God that he had never had before in his life. 20 years as a minister, and all of a sudden now he's hungry. And he's reading the word from daybreak till dark. He reads through the entire Bible in three weeks. And then he starts hungering and thirsting. God, what is your plan for my life here? It's a remarkable story. I'd encourage you to go online, buy the book, read it with your kids. Because in the midst of heavy stuff, here's a man who came to the place of trusting that the God who spoke to Jeremiah the prophet and said, I have thoughts for you, and they are good thoughts. They are of hope and joy, and they're not of evil. You say, yeah, but he was going through some evil stuff. But God's grace was sufficient. You see, today, you're not having to walk through some things that you might walk through down the road. I'm walking through something in my health that I never in my entire life ever dreamed even after my Cheryl, my sister Cheryl was diagnosed with cancer and died of cancer, it never crossed my mind that I'd ever battled that battle. It, was, it wasn't there. 
Not, not to me, it's not going to happen to me. And then my brother gets diagnosed, and four months later, he dies. And then a year later, I'm diagnosed. And the doctors say three months, maybe a year if you go with treatment. See, I'm walking in a grace today that I never had before. I didn't even have that grace when Cheryl was walking through it or Richard was walking through it. You're walking through something that nobody else is walking through because it's your life. But hear me, greater is he that is in you than he that's against you. And his grace is sufficient. Whatever it is you're going through, maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your children. Whatever it is, can we trust God? that this is a part of his script for my life. Hear me, even when I don't like it. See, Peter never liked being locked up in that jail for over, do you remember, Heidi? How many, over 500 days, I believe it was. So that's what, like a year and a half? I'm not certain, don't, don't, don't hold me on that, but I know that it was a long time. I'm not at the end of the book yet, so I actually don't know exactly how long it was, but uh, he, got, he got arrested in, in October, November, and, and I'm at the point where it's next July. And he's gone from one prison to a jail cell that was made for two people that started with him being put in, and there were 12, and then there were 24, and then there were 40 men in one cell. They could not even sit down to sleep. 40 men stuffed like sardines. How many of you think you'd probably complain? Don't raise your hand. You say, how would you not? And yet, even in that situation, God's grace showed up mightily. See, there's nothing that you and I go through that God will not show up for. Because we're his children. His. And you think about your kids. You think about your grandchildren. You think about your parents. What, what would you not do for them? We, we do anything and everything we can to make life better for those around us. But sometimes we still go through tough stuff. But just because we're going through something. Man, when I started this message five weeks ago, I did not plan to go right here. But here we are. Because sometimes the script, the plan that God wrote for your life, doesn't fit exactly with the American dream. But God's bigger than the American dream. And neither is God limited, come on, to the American dream. What can you think of the most or the best or what's your desires? They're nothing compared to what Father God Amen. has for you. Amen. You say, well, that doesn't sound like if I ended up like that, that that would be the best. Well, what if it was the best because God used you to save 100 men who in turn save 1,000 family members who in turn reject Muslim and choose God Almighty? What if you knew the end result? You can trust him even when you don't. First John chapter three, verse one says this. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we are what? Children of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We have to remember what kind of love the Father has given us. For us to grab hold of some scriptures that, that really don't fit with the way I wish they would, but God has a greater plan. Suzanne and I, I was sharing with Suzanne the other day, I got a text from one of my friends that um, I met in Clearwater while I was in the clinic down there last August till December. And uh, this young lady um, who is a Christian and uh, we met on the day of our first uh, chemo treatment we're sitting in a little room, four chairs. Suzanne's there with me. She's by herself because she was having to drive every single day from Lakeland to Clearwater for treatment and then back home every night. And she was doing that four to five nights a week. And I said, Gabby, I don't know how you do that. She said, I have no choice, but God's grace will help me through. That was the first day. A week, two weeks into it, we're sitting in the infusion room and, and Gabby's cuddled up in a chair and she's shaking and she's feeling horrible and she's going through all kinds of pain. And she finally tells me that in the end of July, she went to her doctor for her annual physical when they diagnosed her with stomach stage four colon cancer and gave her four months to live. Matter of fact, they said, there's no treatment, go home. We can't do surgery, there's nothing we can do for you. How is that God's best? She went home, she shared it with her husband, she shared it with her son, her son who's a student at Southeastern University in Lakeland, going through nursing school, says, Mom, there's gotta be an answer. And so he starts searching, researching, all over America, Mexico, all over the world, is there some place that has faith and confidence that they can treat my mom for this condition. And he finds it in Clearwater. And so she applies, gets there, starts the treatment, goes through it, and in the natural, it did not look good for Gabby. Every single week, she would lose weight, she was struggling, and we prayed, and she had such faith in God. The day before I finished treatment, she finished her last treatment. She went home, she went through some testing, and, uh, and then this week on Tuesday, I get a text from Gabby. Pastor George, my oncologist finally ran all the tests, called me to his office. 
Today he said, Gabby, Gabriella, I don't know what you've done, but there's no cancer in your cold. Zero cancer. See, we need to hear those kind of stories because God's not finished. God's still doing wonderful, amazing things. He has a plan for your life. He has a future for your life. He has a hope for you. doesn't matter how young you are. doesn't matter how old you are. God has a plan. But we have to be willing to fight the good fight of faith. We can't sit back and just say, let God do whatever God wants to do. He already has. He gave his son Jesus and he gave the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you need to receive him. If you are not full of the Holy Spirit of God today, if the spirit of the living Christ is not living in you and you're just trying to live for God out of your own flesh and ability, you will not make it. Jesus said to the disciples, it's imperative that I go back to the Father because until I go, he's not going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit because when I go, he will come and he will fill you with all power. You can't live for God on your own. I don't care. You're just not, I'm sorry, look at me. You're just not good enough. You're not. You don't have the goodness in you enough to keep you always doing what's right without the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit's in you, when you have a word like popped into my brain this week, <laughs> Holy Spirit's right there. You need to clean that area up. You need to denounce that, reject that, and reject where it came from. Sometimes things come out of you Hang on, I'm, I, I didn't plan to go here, but some of it is because you're hanging out with the wrong people or you're watching the wrong thing. And so when he convicts you, you deal with it because he loves you so much. He will not leave us like orphans. He's not just leaving you. He's not gonna leave you like an orphan, one that's fatherless motherless. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. You know this. Now that I am speaking of, I'm sorry, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, Paul's writing here to the church at Philippi. He's been imprisoned. He's learned to worship in the midnight hour, locked in chains. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As I was reading this week of Peter's story, it brought a memory back when I took Suzanne and Oscar took Vicky, uh, and it was their first trip to Cuba. And um, we were taking in some stuff that we were not supposed to take in, Bibles and 
some meds, and a lot of cash. And I had this cash stuffed down my drawers. I had one of those money bags tied under my boxer shorts. And uh, Oscar and I had been there on a bunch of occasions, and I had never gone through what was about to happen. And my wife is there with me, first trip to Cuba. And all of a sudden, I get pulled out of the line. And I turn, and Oscar and Vicky are away from us, and I just pointed them to go. Go out the door, leave us. And so he did. My translator left me. But him and Vicky went out, and our friends were in the bus waiting, and they began to pray because they had no idea what was going on. And a few minutes went to 30 minutes, 30 minutes went to an hour, an hour went to a couple hours. And Suzanne is sitting outside of the interrogation room, and she's wondering what in the heck's going on. Is this normal? George didn't tell me that this was normal. He didn't tell me I was going to sit out here and wait. So she's sitting out there, and, and uh, she, she doesn't really understand what's going on inside the room. And many of you remember this story from years ago. But I, uh, I had everything I had opened, my suitcase, all my clothes were pulled out. Every pair of pants, they stuck their hands in. Every pair of socks, they stuck their hands in. They opened up my briefcase, they pulled out my Bible. They had my notes from the previous day where I'd preached here and wanted to know about the message that I was preaching and why I was preaching it and, and then took my wallet, my passport and asked me exactly how much money I had so I told them exactly what I wanted them to hear. And then they decided they needed to strip search me. And they found, unfortunately, <laughs> um, we had written the names of the pastors on the outside of the envelope. And there were about eight envelopes stuffed with cash, $100 bills. And they pulled that out, my heart sunk. Not that they found the money, but that somehow we had had a mental slip up to put names of these pastors on this envelope. Long story, as short as possible, the guy takes my Bible, takes my license, takes my passport, takes my wallet, takes a stack of money, and he walks out the door. And he's gone for 15 minutes or so. Suzanne's still sitting outside. I have not been able to speak to her. And I'm praying in the spirit. <laughs> There's a camera behind me. And it's been recording the whole time. And there's two uh, soldiers in there. It was a good guy, bad guy thing. You've seen it on TV. And the one guy smiled and spoke nice English. And the other guy never smiled and just stern looked the whole time and would speak to me only in Spanish. The other guy would translate. And eventually, everything I had was laid out in this room. And 
the door opens, the guy comes back in, he's got everything in his hand, and he just starts taking all of my luggage, and if you know me, oh Lord, I don't know what was worse. He just started piling my clothes, wadded up. I fold my underwear in four inch squares, folks. My socks are folded, my shirts are folded, my pants are folded, everything is neat and in order. And he's just piling it in my suitcase. Closed and barely can get it closed. And he stands me up and he turns me around where now I'm facing the camera, but his back is to the camera. And he walks up, and while he was out of that room, I was praying, Jesus, I'll go anywhere, do anything. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Please not prison in Cuba. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not as spiritual as y'all were, but, but I was asking the Lord, I really did not want to have a story like Peter. I, I, see, I've been told by the consulate of the uh, United States Interstate, um, forget the name of it, but it was before we actually had an embassy that reopened and then closed again. But I had flown uh, back home to Miami with the head of the American uh, U.S. Um, I don't know, Oscar's in the back room, so I can't ask him, but intersection, thank you, Franco. And... Uh, he had told me one time on the plane, we were, had just landed in Miami, we were standing up and he turned around, we had talked the whole flight and, and he had volunteered to help us if we need anything, but he turned around as he's getting ready to walk out of the plane. Everybody had to wait for him to get off. He's a you know, diplomat and, uh, and he turns around and he says, Pastor George, hear me. Don't ever get arrested in Cuba. It'll take me six months to a year before I'll get to visit you for the first time. Well, that's ringing through my ears right now. As I'm standing there in this room, all my stuff that's important has left the room and all my luggage is there. And the guy walks back in, turns me around, steps right up to me where he's this close. He's got my Bible, my passport, my wallet, my driver's license, my cash stacked this high. And he gets this close to my face. And in perfect English, the mean cop says to me, you help my people, I help you. He handed me the stuff back and I stood there not even knowing what to do. And immediately he opens the door, he walks out, nice guard walks out, and I'm standing there with all my stuff. And I look around the outside the door and my wife's sitting there like, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> I grab all my stuff and I said, honey, let's go. Well, now I don't even know what to do. I don't know, am I supposed to walk out of there? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I just say, honey, come on, grab your luggage. And we start and I look over and the guards are standing way over there and he just pointed at the door. And I walked right past all the other guards, right past um, uh, passport control and customs and we walked straight out the door and the bus was waiting on us. God's faithful, but hear me. God didn't love me any more than he loved Peter in a Sudanese prison. 
God had a plan for both of us. So whatever it is that's your script, whatever it is that's your plan, I'm giving you the last point. <laughs> Whether I can preach it or not, I'm giving you the last point. Point three of four points. Started out with one and four, went to two last week, and right now, and the, and the third point is this. Love the life God gave you. Love the life God's given you. Don't wish for someone else's life. Don't wish for someone else's story. You don't have the grace to walk in theirs. I don't have the grace to walk in yours. You don't have the grace to walk in mine. But you know what? You can love the life that God's given you. And you can say, God, use me. Be glorified in this world through my life. For all of us that are married, hear, hear me. God wants to be glorified in your marriage. God, God wants your marriage to be something that the lost will look at and go, wow, I, I want whatever they got. And say, so, well, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through in my marriage. I know the devil that's after your marriage, and I know the God that's already given you the answer for your marriage. But you have to choose. Choose life. Choose victory. Choose the plan of God. Choose the purpose of God. Some in this room this morning, some that are watching online this morning, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have not yet surrendered your life. You, do, you don't know him in a personal, intimate way. You, you, you can't trust him for your future when you don't even know how much he loves you right here and now. Can this pastor tell you God loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, who came into this world, walked through horrible events to fulfill God's plan and script for his life, which was the cross. See, Jesus didn't just come to feed hungry people or tell good stories. And man, was Jesus a great storyteller. But that's not his whole purpose for coming. His ultimate purpose was to die on the cross because the Father required blood to cleanse us from evil. And sheep and goats and lambs and doves were not enough. So Jesus willingly came, laid down his whole life, hung on a tree. The word says he could have called for a legion of angels, but he hung on that tree. And he said, Father, forgive them. They, they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them. And he cried out to God. And he declared, it is finished. And he died. And his blood dripped out of his body onto that ground. And the word tells us emphatically, that it's that blood that saves us from our sin. Going to church, being religious, doing whatever religious thing you were raised up in and brought will not save you. Only a confession inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be Lord, to surrender your all, your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. 
you surrender it all to Jesus. Invite him. Be Lord of my life. I want to love the script, God, that you have for my life. But you got to know him before you can love it. This morning in this place, if you do not have that personal relationship with Father God, you can today, this morning, right here, right now in this place. I'm going to invite you in a moment to lift up your hand and let me see it if that's you. And if it's you, I will lead you in a prayer. We'll invite Jesus. See, it doesn't matter if you run down to an altar. It doesn't matter if you do it in your shower. It doesn't matter if you're driving down the road. It doesn't matter if you're out in the woods by yourself. Or you're in a public service like this. It's the act of obedience that says, Lord, I surrender all to you. So this morning, different than usual, you can keep your head up. And you can even look around. Because anybody responding has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with today. You're ready to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. And you can't be ashamed of God. Or his word says, he'll be ashamed of you. See, when I got saved, I was sitting way back there in a little Nazarene church got so convicted in my sin, I jumped up and literally at eight years of age ran to an altar. <laughs> Fell on my face, crying out. That was 58 years ago. And my love for Jesus has only grown. <laughs> and my appreciation for what happened 58 years ago has never waned. God loves you so much. He gave Jesus. So this morning, if that's you in this room, if you're watching online, I can't see your hand, but you can respond and we will believe with you and call the church office, do whatever needs. But if you're in this room this morning, in front of this whole congregation, you're ready to say, Pastor, that's me today. I'm ready. I want to get saved. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Just lift up your hand across this congregation. Don't be ashamed. The Lord loves you that much that he wasn't ashamed of you. Thank you, sir. Bless you. It's a big, bold move. Big, bold move. Bold. Jesus died without shame you and I. He hung on a cross and was ridiculed, laughed at, spit upon. You saved others, save yourself. But he stayed on that tree because he wasn't ashamed to die for you and me. Man, that's a bold kind of death. Anybody else? Thank you, dear. God bless you. See, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. 
understand what God has for these two young people. I want to invite you all to stand. Ministry team, I want you to come down quickly across the front. Just quickly turn. I invite the whole congregation to join with me. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And you two precious young people that raised your hand, you pray this prayer out loud in faith. Pray it out loud. We got enough people up here to minister about half the church. Y'all can come down in a minute. We're gonna, we're, we're ready today. After we pray for salvation, we're gonna open up the altars if you have a need today. Maybe you're coming to that place in your own personal life where the script, the plan that God has for you is being revealed and maybe it's a little overwhelming to you. But God, and God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? Amen? He's got a plan and a purpose, a future and a hope for every one of us. So join with me as I lead these two precious young people. If anybody else, you want to respond, you pray this prayer out loud, you can come down here at the end and ask one of these, tell one of these prayer team members that you just responded as well. But we're gonna invite Jesus. Simple prayer. Pray it out loud with me. The whole congregation's gonna pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of your son Jesus, who you gave for me to die so that I could live. Father, I thank you for that. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my life. I confess that I've been a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, save me today. I surrender my life, my mind, my thoughts, my whole being, I surrender to you. And I invite you, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I surrender it all. And Holy Spirit, today I invite you to come into my life and help me now to live out my declaration. I choose this day to serve Jesus all the rest of the days of my life and throughout eternity. So thank you, Father, that you first loved me. I receive you today as Father, as Daddy, in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise for these two precious young people. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.